0: We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we are looking at... The 1973, 1973- <laughs> three, three. I have it written down, 1973, um, The Norless Tapes, a Dan Curtis production. David Norliss is a recognized name author. He's been working on an advance from his publisher to write a new book, Debunking the Supernatural. His publisher is distressed when Norliss calls him and says, I can't write the book. I need to talk to you. Now. But when Norliss misses the meeting, his publisher starts to worry. And worry he should. Norliss has gone missing. The only clue to his disappearance? The cassette tape notes that he's left behind. His publisher starts with tape number one. It recounts a prologue to Norliss's adventures. How he started researching and debunking the frauds that prey on the gullible who believe in the supernatural. But then... His adventure begins when he's approached by Mrs. Ellen Court, recent widow of the wealthy and famous artist James Court, who died of natural causes. She sought out Norlis because her sister is a friend of his and mentioned his research into the supernatural. Recently, late at night, while living alone in the giant mansion left to her by her late husband, the dog goes nuts and leads her to the husband's remote studio on the property. There, a zombified version of her husband tries to kill her, but she narrowly escapes. The sheriff, although taking the crime seriously, doesn't believe the more fantastical elements of the story. Norliss decides to investigate. He learns that Cort was struck with a rare debilitating and fatal brain disease, after which he became entangled with Madame Jaquiel, a proponent of the supernatural, and that in exchange for some unknown promise, he was given an antique ring, the Ring of Osiris, which he never took off, and specifically left instructions in his will that he be buried wearing. Norlis verifies that Cort's body and the ring are still in the family crypt. And then the murders start. The court zombie kills a young woman and drains her body of blood. The local sheriff investigates, but tries to keep a lid on the more fantastical elements of the story. This being the same sheriff who didn't wholly believe Mrs. Court's story either. Norliss interviews Langdon, gallery owner who worked with Court, and who has shown a marked interest in the ring, and also introduced Court to Madame Jaquille. Legend has it that the ring is Egyptian and is the symbol of immortality. While Langdon reveals nothing useful to Norlis, Norlis lets him know he'll never get the ring because it was interred with Cort. Soon, Langdon tries to steal the ring from the crypt, but is killed by the zombie. Norlis visit Madame Jekiel, who is also unhelpful, but warns him and Mrs. Cort to stay away from the mansion. It is the house of Sargoth now. Returning to the studio, because Norliss is convinced that is the key to this mystery, they find a new statue, a work in progress with fresh clay nearby. And then, they are attacked (laughs) by Court. Once again, they barely escape. This time, Court demonstrates his incredible strength by ripping the door of the car off. The sheriff investigates, but he dismisses the more fantastical elements of the story, even after they discover Court's body is no longer in the crypt. Ellen's sister returns from her trip and goes to visit her sister, unaware that the mansion is now vacant. Unable to get in, she stops at a nearby hotel for the night. Soon, Court breaks in, kills her, and takes her body. Norliss has been researching and has discovered a series of Prohibition-era tunnels under the estate, connecting the studio and the crypt. And he had the clay analyzed and learned that it is 40% human blood. He also conducts some chemistry experiments on his own, but uh, that's for later. Meanwhile, Madame Jaquil visits Ellen Court and confesses that she had been used by the powers of darkness and that Court made a deal. After he died, he would come back to life and make a statue that the demon Sargoth would transform into a new body and then grant Court eternal life upon success. If they can just find the body and remove the ring before sunset, it will all end. They go to the mansion, despite it being almost sunset, and without Norlis. And discover the tunnel, the missing dead bodies, and Court, who kills Madame Jaquiel, but lets Ellen go free. Norlis arrives with a plan. Let court finish the statue. He will surround it with a circle of blood, and when Sargoth comes to life, he will set the blood on fire, which is an impenetrable barrier for supernatural beings. The plan works and the studio is burned down. the charred body of court, but not Sargoth is found. There is no answer to the disappearance of David Norliss on tape one. Perhaps on tape two, his publisher begins to listen. Okay, so um, the reason that we are looking at the Norless tapes, and to be fair, we should have done this between Kolchak the Night Stalker and the Night Stalker, but uh, circumstances prevented us from doing that. Namely, I forgot. <laughs> um, but the reason we're doing this is because... Uh, A little bit of backstory. The movie The Night Stalker came out uh, January 1972. It was a huge hit. And ABC, who had the uh, movie, wanted a series. Actually, they wanted a series of movies. But nobody liked that idea. Dan Curtis didn't like the idea. Uh, uh, Darren McGavin didn't like the idea. Nobody apparently liked the idea. Uh, But Dan Curtis was well enough into it that he was willing to do... A sequel. Um, and then, you know, how it became a series is a different story. But at the same time, NBC said, hey, <laughs> we want a series. But of course, they couldn't have it. So they went to Dan Curtis and said, give me a pilot for a, a series like that. And so this was shot basically at the same time The Night Strangler was. Um, the Night Strangler was released in January of 73, this was released in February of 73. And you know, when I say simultaneously, that's kind of a broad um, that's kind of a broad term because these things would only shoot, you know, 7 to 10 days or something like that back back when they were making these TV wow. movies. So, there may have been a longer pre-production, but Dan Curtis was involved in both projects at the same time. And Dan Curtis directed both The Night Strangler and The Norless Tates. Robert Colbert did the music for both of them, which is why it sounds so much the same. Um, you know, the titles look the same because that's a Dan Curtis product. I mean, it, they, are, they are cut from the same cloth in more than one way, these two shows. So that's why we brought it out here, just to look at this. This is the first.
1: And because Kolchak never ends.
0: Right, <laughs> Kolchak never ends. It's the first manifestation of someone trying to copy Kolchak. In in uh, in the films, and it's actually the man himself doing it. Um, yeah, to to at someone else's request, you know they can't do so, And so
1: and he, so he he's Dan Curtis. Just to get this clear, is okay with the idea of there being a TV series. It's the series of films that he doesn't like.
0: That's what I read. That seems a little. He didn't feel that there was room for eight series in the Kolchak formula, or eight movies in the Kolchak mm. formula, but. Apparently, Norlis Tapes is sufficiently restructured that he thinks that there is. <laughs> Maybe it's because uh, Norlis is rich and can go wherever the heck he wants, and he's a writer instead of a journalist, so he's independently... I, I don't know. I-, I don't know quite what
1: they were thinking at that time. Well, the structure uh, is slightly different in that it is more set up as a serial, although obviously... There's an intention for each episode to be relatively standalone. Well, this is relatively standalone, so that's what I'm assuming.
0: Yes.
1: Yes, we we can talk about that. But I mean,
0: yes, the whole thing with Court seems to be a standalone story. The whole mystery of Norliss's disappearance, is that even related to this story?
1: Well, we don't know. I mean, I I sat down and watched this thinking this was just another one-off, another film, like the Night Stalker or the Night Strangler and blow me if I by the end of it because you have mentioned all the parallels well we get another story that is all about narration from the tapes I mean it's in the <laughs> title this time but oh yeah I forgot fundamentally that. what we what we're building is a, a, a framing slightly more elaborate framing which is based around having Norlis narrate what is going on and When we do that in Kolchak stories, we get a slightly briefer, but nevertheless, uh, an introduction from Kolchak, which kind of sets up where we're going to be by the end of the story. And that's the kind of wrapping up of the thread, you know, why Kolchak is sitting in a pile of mud in a disheveled suit or whatever it is in whatever particular story it is. And so I'm thinking in this one, well, we're going to find out what it is that has happened to Norlis that has led to him becoming despondent and vanishing? Uh-huh. But blow me if it turns out it's not a flipping standalone story. <laughs> no, it's no. the pilot for a cancelled series, and I'm never going to get any closure on this. Maybe Big Finish will pick it up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, I actually was sitting and watching this and thinking at the end, you know, why. Why couldn't I mean whether or not the relative quality of the program is there to say the setup is it's more Kolchak than the 2005 Night Stalker, and yeah. it does have a few of the problems with the premise perhaps cleared up. Not a, not a hundred percent sure there. Um I, I, You know my my complaints. You know it it is. Very similar to Night Stalker, Night Strangler in its format approach and, and everything. My my main complaint about it is, and I like Roy Thinnis, but, God, he's awful in this. He's, think? I think he's just so bland and disinterested in his narration and his, and his, he's, he's it's like he's sleepwalking through this thing, to me. And, you know, you... Probably haven't seen it, but he was a star of a TV series called The Invaders in the late '60s, which went a couple years, and I quite liked him in that. And of course, he was in the X Files several times. Uh, well, is it several times or was oh. it just once? He's the alien that helped Mulder and cured Cancer Man of his cancer. Okay, okay, right. So I know,
1: I know, I know he was because um, we've talked once or twice about pilot episodes that get chucked into the the sequence of a show and uh, when you get to that one everything seems slightly odd and if you watch Law and Order when you get to episode six suddenly the regular district attorney um, Adam Schiff disappears and this new district attorney Alfred Wentworth appears with no explanation and he's Roy Thinnes Mm. who they hired to to shoot the pilot but by the time they came to series he'd got another gig or something and didn't want to do the show so
0: (laughs) another okay another perfect example of those out of order pilots yeah okay yeah i i i've liked roy thinnis over the years i just didn't think he was yeah very good in this i mean i I, don't think he was incompetent or anything i just think the way he was playing it his
1: character wasn't interested perhaps that's i see i i think i think he is good in this and I and I like his performance so I'm going to straight away disagree but I do think that the way that this is written and perhaps directed does him no favours in the sense that this whole framing that is is set up and and you know having seen that it's designed as a framing for the series not just the episode I come I, I understand a bit why now but they spend almost 10 minutes on just the framing before they mm-hmm. get into the story proper. And as part of that, all we really see of Thinness is the kind of the the shell of the man who has suffered this terrible trauma or whatever it is. And he does seem very listless and shaken in that. And it doesn't contrast sufficiently with the performance he gives when he is being the investigator, the, the writer in the, the kind of call it the flashbacks but you know the, mm-hmm. the the story proper and that's a pity because I I like the way he is compared to sorry Darren McGavin but compared to Colchak because when he's interviewing uh, Court at the you know right at, right at the start of the story his style is so much more believable he I mean he is quite kind of laid back but he's eliciting the story from her by by just sort of giving her these little prompts, you know, tell me about right, that. I'll, I'll whereas cu- whereas Kolchak comes across as, you know, what a what a Cub Scout's idea of a newspaper reporter might be like. <laughs> you know, I want to be a I want to be a newspaper man when I grow up, and that's what you get on screen. Well, Kolchak is both passionate and
0: cynical about what he does, and. At varying times, one or the other, or a bit of both, and he also because he's a smart ass um you know when he does his narration, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of wit to it, there's a little bit of uh, sparkle and sure. N- norlis gets stuff like uh the rain was coming down like a curtain from a gunmetal sky <laughs> so wow, you've been reading too much. Oh, that's a thought. He's been yeah. reading too much, too many
1: uh, Dashiel Hammett novels, perhaps. It's, it's it's I it that that I mean that's something I noted myself um, because I I think it's a partial fix to some of the stuff that's happening that's ha- that's happened in the in the Cold Track story. So I mean, Darren McGavin is very charismatic, and obviously that comes across in the performance. So that that and he is all the things you said, but I think the bottom line is he's, he's a caricature as well. Okay, and. There is the opportunity with Norlis to do something that's a bit less like that. But the problem is, I still don't really think that the whole narration framing format works. It's an attempt to make it better, because by making the guy into a writer, then the rain was coming down from like a curtain from the gunmetal sky is more forgivable than it would be for an employee of the international news service or whatever true kolchak uh, and i guess working for
0: i guess these notes aren't weren't originally intended so that's the next question were the notes intended for himself or were the notes intended for his publisher you well, know i, don't I think
1: if, i don't think that's be, i don't think that's been thought out because they are notes it's not like he's setting it down as a book whereas if he was setting it down as a book then you could kind of think yeah he's He's, he's giving it all that because he's trying to entertain the, the paying public who's okay, buying well, his stuff. Well, I do this. So when I'm writing stuff down or when I'm taking notes,
0: um, whether I'm trying to work on a script idea or whether I'm working on my notes for this or for, for whatever it is that I'm, that I'm writing, I do have a tendency to write very terse note, 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 note. And if I have an idea of something that some linguistic thing that I want flourish that I want to put in, I will stop and write it in the middle of it. So you you can get my notes. We'll go for like, then he goes and sees the thing. Then he does this and then, you know, so it, it, I do find it forgivable that if he is thinking towards the mind of writing a book that as he's taking his notes, he might think, Oh yes. You know, I, that image of the rain in my mind. I should I should definitely flourish that out so I don't forget
1: it when I get around to writing. The bottom bottom line is this is this is he's he's narrating the film that we're watching. Mm -hmm. That's you know, that's what's that's what's going on here. And and it's a it's a kind of slightly irritating conceit within the story that they can use the publisher playing back the tapes as a sort of way of explaining that but it doesn't and you come back to things like the bits of narrative that we couldn't really know or don't really know like uh when the the girl is in the car and the guy uh, the the zombie fellow um Mm -hmm. caught uh grabs her by the neck or we can we can maybe put that together by the forensic evidence after but it but it's all it's all reconstruction. there's no eyewitness evidence there because she hasn't survived and so what's going on there is when is we're having a story narrated and we're seeing it come to life before our eyes because that's the kind of dramatic conceit there is there and it it just it feels like a a, a, an unnecessary an unnecessarily elaborate way you you could just narrate the thing if you want to narrate the thing narrate the thing let's Not pretend this isn't drama. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot to mention
0: a parallel. The original Night Stalker by Jeff Rice was not called The Night Stalker. Uh, Remember, it was an unpublished book that got converted to a movie before the book ever got published. And by the time the book got published, the book was renamed to The Night Stalker because the movie was called The Night Stalker. The original title, or one of the original titles, was The Kolchak Tapes. (laughs) Which Dan Curtis would have known going into this. So, uh, uh, you know, (laughs) it's like, yeah, so I guess it's just, yeah, his his narration, I don't like his narration in this because it does, perhaps for the reasons that you didn't like the narration in The Night Stalker, whereas I thought they were okay because listening to what he had to say was usually amusing. Uh, Perhaps it appeals to my sense of humor you know she should have settled on being alive it, you know it's it's really it's really cold and a, a acerbic wit at times, and I appreciate that. This guy just when he gets into his talking, he's like, "I was driving down the coast, and it was a beautiful sea with the sun, the ocean crashing this thing." And, and yes, this peninsular country really could give the French Riviera a, a run for its money. But I wasn't thinking about the scenery that day. So, well, then why are you writing it down? <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it, it's just so bland. Uh, when, when he does that, that, that it adds to the bland performance, but you're absolutely right. When he is interviewing, when he's doing re well, we don't see him do research, but we see the res- fruits of his research. It does seem to be doing, he's doing it better and more effectively. Um, and he's not driven by deadlines. So I guess, you know, he probably has a different research ethic and, and workflow.
1: Um, I really, I really like the premise. I mean, I th- it's it feels a bit familiar though. I I mean, I know it was um, Jason Arnup's. The last days of Jack Sparks used a very similar kind of story, but I'm sure it's been used in other things before, where you've got a writer setting out to debunk the paranormal
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then failing to debunk it. And it, you know, I, I mean, in a way, that's that's the Scully approach, but obviously. S- in in that mix you have a believer in much the way that Kolchak is a believer um, in tape it, 2 that we never get to see mm-hmm. oh, we know something wh- do we no we don't but i'm going to ask a question
0: <laughs> where is norless on the scale in tape 2 is he still the debunker going in uh and and trying to debunk and oops oops i'm wrong
1: turns out this one's a real one too i don't think he can be because you can't you can't pull that off in a in a series and that was one of the things the x-files had difficulty with because they ended up at various points sort of swapping roles Mm -hmm. in terms of being believers and non-believers so i I don't think it would have worked carrying on it works within a a standalone story i guess what bugs me about that that I, i think you're right but i think what what would bug
0: me on that in the long run would be that for every supernatural story that's real there must be thousands and thousands and thousands of fakes
1: but they get that right because he does he does say i mean obviously he doesn't write it up because it's boring but he does say he spends a certain amount of time with mediums and other shysters and he he un he unmasks everything that they do so he's he that's what he's setting out to do it does and imply he takes terrible notes if yeah but Maybe it's maybe it's not as interesting as he thinks. It's a bit lazy. It's a bit like shooting fish in a barrel, perhaps. And actually, it's much more interesting when you you read something because all of all of his ones are genuine shysters. Whereas if you read about the way uh, someone like Darren Brown debunks some of this stuff, it's it's quite interesting um, learning about the differences between cold reading and warm reading and this kind of thing. And in and in some cases, obviously. Um, maybe even for things like mediums you get people who are not they're not malicious tricksters they're delusional mm-hmm. so oh, yeah. there, there, there is some potential interest there but obviously Norlis hasn't found that he hasn't found anything that's worth writing a book about and then, and then he seems to stumble across this case which isn't much like any of the ones that he's been looking at and it's not immediately obvious why he thinks it's worth including in his book, but I guess the personal connection maybe explains that. Do you think that he believed too quickly? Yes,
0: because he does seem to take her. Okay, you know the you saw your husband. The cops didn't see your husband.
1: She he doesn't well, uh, unless he's just really yes, good say, at
0: not uh, at not tipping his hands so that he doesn't poison
1: the witness. I I say yes. quite he d- he does come round himself quite fast although I suppose the evidence does mount up. I do like the fact that he doesn't dismiss what she says because that reflects what I was saying about you know not everyone being not everyone being out to deceive some people just being mistaken or with the best intention drawing the wrong conclusions and that's what he assumes about her. He he says to um, Marsha something like she's telling the truth as she sees it and that's what I mean and I like the fact he's not at this point drawing conclusions about what he thinks the truth is but he's not he's not automatically assuming you know either either zombies are real or she's a liar okay and 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 yeah and then it was kind of also what I was
0: trying to say I was doesn't want to poison the witness by by just basically telling her she's nuts It's like okay um, I'm not going to say one way or the other. I'm not agree, but but he does. To me, he feels like you know, okay, that's that's the guy, awfully awfully easily, and and I I just couldn't quite get a read on that um, from from you know from the standpoint of a guy who who comes into it saying that he's you know a crusader basically. He wants to be on a crusade to debunk this kind of nonsense, and uh, you know he shifts he shifts pretty darn fast. In, in his
1: but, I, but I but d- I don't think a crusader would necessarily want to, yes, I mean, it's, as you, I'm not sure I'd put it as, as poisoning, but what he would want to do would be to get as much from Ellen Court as he could about what she's seen and what she's believed. And debunking the paranormal doesn't mean being aggressive towards her or, you know, Im- imagine the way Kolchak would have approach it does it, it it what it means is humoring her because it's useful but also it's not necessarily the right thing to do to to say actually the factors i perceive them are this yeah, that's that, that is, for that is, when you write ba- it up that's basically what i mean by poisoning the witness so that yeah
0: he's yeah you know if you if you just go in and and mansplain to her why she's wrong yes um she's gonna clam up she's not going to be forthcoming she's not going to continue to help she's going to you know treat him as as hostile and and why would you do that yeah you, you know, would why would why would right. a decent person do that but i just can't you know again it could be from the narration it could be the fact that it's done after the fact it's clearly done after the fact what what he narrates is done after sargoth has been captured and killed and done it does this doesn't feel like this doesn't feel like the narration that he did day by day where he goes home, records a little bit, sets it down, then the next day records well, a little again, bit. Well, again, you
1: see, yeah, this is the problem with the, the format. The format, yeah, because it's, it's not actually stuff that he's recorded as notes anyway. It's narration of a TV movie. Yeah. So there, yeah. there hasn't been thought given to that. And the fact that it's there becomes problematic to understanding what he's thinking. And I, I think that is a bit of an issue in other places because I felt that when he went and told, when he went and interviewed Charles Langdon and he knew that Langdon was after the ring and he knew where the ring was and you thought, where's he going with this? When he tells him where the ring is, you assume he's doing that for a purpose. It does feel so like that. When, yeah, exactly. When you cut straight away to Langdon going and robbing the crypt... You pretty much expect Norlis to be tucked away in a corner, ready to to leap out and say, aha, got you. But of course, it's not that. It's just, it's a way of advancing the plot. I see what the script writer was thinking about setting that scene up. But what was Norlis thinking? Was he really just that naive that he drops that information into Langton's lap completely thoughtlessly? It did really feel like he was just feeding him
0: it it really
1: well, did purposefully so yeah yeah that that was certainly the you know the impression i got and and maybe even if you have to have this narration that would be a way of explaining it cuz he could actually explain in his notes what his intention was but he doesn't yeah i mean alternatively he could have been doing it to get langdon to leave Ellen alone like well you're not going to get it 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 was it was. Very I really ridiculous. didn't. I really didn't get that. I didn't, I didn't either. It was enough. There wasn't enough in the the relationship with Ellen for him to be protective of her.
0: I also liked the fact that he didn't seem to get romantically involved with her either.
1: No, I mean, I I, I enjoyed the both the characters and the way that they interacted because when uh, when he, I mean, obviously, I, I say he's not protective. He does suggest that she doesn't stay at the house. And she then agrees. But when he's going back there to the studio to investigate, he asks her to go with him and he sets out what he's going to do and says, will you come with me? And I guess he knows it's going to be fairly scary for her. And so does she, but she still does it. And, you know, off off they go together, the intrepid pair. And I like that. I just question why they had to do it at night. But (laughs) (laughs) well, they had to do it there and then. I don't know why. Uh, yeah, it, it just and
0: and so I'll 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 bring up something. This is a nitpicky point, but I I it was odd with the writing. There are at least three different instances um, where we're told it was just after midnight. The first attack at the house was just after midnight. Uh, there's a there's a mention of it being just after midnight at the hotel. There was mm-hmm. a mention of it being just after midnight. I think the night that they, the two of them went to the house because he's, you know, he said, I'll be there in an hour. But, and she goes, why is it so late? And, oh, traffic and the rain and stuff. And so it was just after midnight again, every time, every time that the the zombie put in his
1: appearance, And then it's sunrise. And then it's sunset. The sun, sorry, sunset. Yeah. Yes. and Which and must I... be just bad editing. It's
0: <laughs> like, I, 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 I really felt like there was this midnight thing, and you know, it's the witching hour. I mean, that that seems like perfectly
1: reasonable
0: zombie lore. <laughs> if we're making this well, stuff up, that
1: if it isn't, it should be.
0: And then and then they mess it up with the, the final sequence. And I well, you
1: know. I think it must be. It must have been a change that was made, and they, they didn't catch the other instances where they'd set it up as after midnight. Or something. And honestly, I'd be far more
0: likely. I, I it's to me, it's far more believable. And, and let's use the word believable in quotes here. <clears throat> I would never go hunting a vampire
1: at five in the afternoon.
0: Maybe, Well, maybe that if you would live, be
1: just completely insane, wouldn't it? it
0: you know, it, maybe if you were up in Scotland and the dead of summer, maybe 5 p.m. is early enough away from sunset that you might, <laughs> you might think about going to do that. But I would do it if I thought the deadline was midnight. It's like, okay, if we can just get up there yeah. and poke around for an hour or two and then get the heck out. Okay, it's after yep. Under dark. Under those
1: circumstances, like hunting a vampire at 5 p.m. would be a perfectly reasonable thing to do. <laughs> Most reasonable people probably go hunting vampires at 5 p.m. 5
0: p.m., yeah. I, I'm thinking 6 a.m. would be my preferred time of the day, but, you know,
1: um, I... I, I... <laughs> so I, i'm i'm mostly thinking not hunting vampires would be my preferred thing but I well, guess if you had to do me. it I'm, I'm just a bit crazy
0: if it if it was them or you i suppose um uh, remember there's there's last man on earth the real one not the is that the name of the book the novella last man on earth Ooh, yeah yeah, it has to be. That's like, that's what he does all day. It's all he's got to do is to go hunt vampires. You start in the beginning of the day. You make sure you're home and safe at night. I mean, that's, that's perfectly reasonable. Anyway. There's nothing uh, on the telly. <laughs> the, um, you mentioned earlier that there is 10 minutes of setting this story up. I gave a brief lurk, but not enough of a look to have found a satisfactory answer. I think that in 1972, the typical length of a... Uh, tv episode after you've stripped it of commercials was about 50 minutes if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. this was very strange in my mind in that you have the the bits where norlis calls his publisher and they talk about how bad it is or how i can't do it you got to hear these tapes and uh, nah, nah, nah. no i gotta talk to you i gotta talk to you today So then they have the whole bit where he goes down and he sits around waiting for lunch and nothing happens. And then, you know, he calls and we see Norlis ignoring him. Then we see see him go back and it's like a week later, the publisher contacts Norlis' attorney and he tells the attorney to look into it. And so the attorney looks into it and then the attorney catches up with the publisher days later, apparently. You're right to be worried. I found him in the whole stuff about riding up and down on the cable car and and going to the club and, and... And then finally the publisher goes to Norliss's place and and starts the process. Now, this movie was 72 minutes long. So if they could just kill 22 minutes with the framing stuff, this would effectively be about what one episode of the Norliss tapes as a TV series would be like. It would probably have about the same pacing, um, you know, as what they would have to cut it up under normal normal circumstances which is you know another tip off that they're probably going for a pilot that and the big number one and the number two on the tape but uh <laughs> um anyway this one was written ish by william f nolan you familiar with him i don't okay i think well, i am i'm I, s- sorry i'm not richard matheson who did the night stalker was a famous tv writer and a no- uh, short story and novelist concentrated a lot on horror stories. Um he'd written the movie Duel, which I think you Oh, imagine. But yes, he's yeah. written uh Star Trek stories, he's written all this. Well, William F. Nolan, also a multiple award-winning horror sci-fi writer, also Star Trek The Twilight Zone. Um, he and George Clayton Johnson did Logan's Run, and I mean the novels. Uh-huh. And then William F. Nolan wrote the rest of the novels. He's um he's one like I say, he's won countless awards. He's won, or he's written comedy things. I guess he's got a Sam Space series, which is sort of a comedy science fiction detective PI sort of thing. Um, he's done biographies. I know he's got a biography of Dashiell Hammett out there. So there's there's a connection that that, that popped in my brain when I was thinking about the, the writing. It's like, oh yeah, he's definitely trying to do the old PI pastiche there with the gunmetal sky and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, the guy is... is Got a ton of got a ton of work behind him. It's not, it's not bad. I mean, the premise of this story is. I, I groaned when they said, "Oh, the blood's been drained out of the body." I have to admit that that was the one part in this story that that I just. Oh, really? It has to be a blood drainer.
1: <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> you hate know, those blood drainers.
0: You know, well, it's a, back to Night Stalker. It's like it's another blood draining thing and yes they had a good reason for it good reason for it from this in-universe story kind of which i thought was novel oh i don't need it to survive oh i don't need it to survive it's like i'm yeah. have to make this blood body for this demon i mean okay that's that's the kind of weird stuff i can expect i i appreciated it was as zombies go it wasn't your standard zombie it wasn't your standard vampire it it had all the marks i i i thought it was a decent premise for this supernatural story it it Hmm. uh, you know i execution perhaps it was definitely tweaked for jump scares i mean dan curtis obviously did whatever he could to get as many jump scares out of the story as he could up to and including the cat which was was one you know there were there were two that bugged me one was the cat
1: well it was the cat
0: was all right it was okay, but comes back to your, your narration point. It's pointless. He goes on and, and explains how this girl was leaving her hotel, or no, she was leaving her work and going home and the, the 20 minute drive or whatever it was that she was going to do. And she comes out of the place and it's all dark and there's tension. And you're like, well, he's narrating. You know she's dead. You know she's dead. Here comes court. No, it's a cat. Ha ha ha.
1: You don't know she's dead because how the hell. Does he know all the details about the particular journey she made that evening? Exactly. How does he know the cat jumped out?
0: But I know that when the narration starts and you start telling us about a character who's, you know, yeah. staying out late, you know that she's dead.
1: I mean, you know that's that she certainly, is. suddenly the, the cold check broke. So,
0: so when the cat jumps out, and you're like, okay, I can, I can, I can rationalize in my mind because the cop actually, the, the sheriff actually says this later on. He says to Norliss or to whomever there was a guy in the back of the car they were driving she was driving home he came out and strangled her and the car smashed into a tree which is exactly what happened it's what the sheriff was able to put together from the evidence at the scene omitting the blood Mm -hmm. drain and that is what Norlis narrated to us. She was working late. He could have found out easily how late she was working. Was she working alone? Yes, she was. Did she drive home? At, you know, how far was it to drive home? He could put all that together and make perfect sense out of that. And and he knows it's court because he's narrating after the fact that it's court. And so all that he could put together, but
1: not that jump scare with a cat. He could not have known that. I I agree, but I I still feel like putting... Putting all that together after the fact is still a cheat. You could, you could actually have just had the the sequence from where the sheriff is arriving on the scene mm-hmm. and base it base it on his testimony. So he ter- he turns up he at the scene of a car crash and then there are some interesting things at the car crash. You don't need all this stuff about her, uh, you know, leaving the shop and getting in her car and all the rest of it. All to build other attention. Than well, yeah. Other than that, for 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 those kind of horror moments, if you like,
0: and and I'll, which
1: don't really do it for me, they just you know. I I give me Sam Spade instead. <laughs> I I don't.
0: Um, I'm I'm not a fan of horror films, and I'm not a fan of jump scares. They don't they don't like terrify me. I don't wet my pants or anything like that. But I mean, it just from a story, I I don't like typically that you know they're coming. Um. In, in because if they don't do that, then you haven't built up the tension correctly and it doesn't make any sense. But I'll I'll give an example where I thought Curtis did a really good job. So for example, we know she's gonna die because story purposes. Then we get the cat, which dispels that a little bit. It's like, oh cat. But we still know she's gonna die. It's just not gonna happen. The next shot she's driving in the car. We're getting a lot of shots, it's dark. The headlights aren't working very well. You know, she's on a winding road. I'm absolutely positively certain that she's going to come around a corner and he's going to be stare on front of her car and the car is going to wreck or whatever it is. I, he beautifully set me up for that. I never expected him to reach around the back and choke her from behind on that shot. I, I, was, I was fully expecting the way that shot was done that it had led me into, uh, you know, creatures standing in the road kind of thing. And and if you'll recall from the episode of the Night Stalker with the Black Knight, we commented on that because when the guy's pulling into his driveway, you know nothing until those lights pass in front of the knight who's standing there and then kills him. And it was very effective. And I, I was I was completely expecting it here and just didn't didn't get it. So I, I, I give kudos to Curtis for achieving what he was trying to do. I just don't particularly like that type of filmmaking. I can, yeah, I can appreciate the, 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 the craft, I guess, that went into it. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's see. I also will comment to Dan Curtis. He does like to get out to different cities and show them off.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, the Monterey area and San Francisco area is very nice.
1: Uh, I, and, and, of course, he, he was moving the Coltac stories around from city to city. So yeah. here's another city. Never yeah. the same place
0: twice. Never the same place twice. Which I guess you could was probably a lot easier to do when your shooting schedule is only a couple weeks. Back yeah. in those days, it's like yeah. all right, well, let's run up
1: to, let's run up to Frisco and shoot this one, okay. And if he if he wants to do that with this one, he's got a better premise for it, because if Norliss is a, a writer, he's going to be able to go. Right, he, he's got he's got he's got that kind of timescale where he can go to wherever the story is, whereas if if, if Kolchak is a reporter, in order to move him from city to city, he basically has to run him out of town at the end of every film, which was getting tired by the end of, well, I was going to say a second movie. Actually, it was probably getting tired by the end of the first movie. So.
0: <laughs> it made se- Well, you know, the first movie, just the Night Stalker movie was just not shot. I, I, don't, I just don't think it was shot with pilot in mind. I think that was no. that was one and done. This guy had his one big story. And he got ruined over it,
1: and that's it. He's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. And but then I didn't. I sitting there watching this. I didn't realize it wasn't shot. I didn't realize it was shot with pilots in mind. So, oh, I I do want to say, um, forgot on the
0: jump scares. The one that apart from the cat, I said there was another one. The one I didn't like was the hotel room. She's yeah. sitting there and she hears something at the window, and she slowly creeps over to the curtains slowly slowly there's no sound we don't hear anything and she pulls him back and then the creature's there and jumps through why didn't he just break in and kill her i mean did he have to wait for her to make eye contact
1: hang on a minute let's let's step even further back than that why is he there why is he gone for her
0: um followed her from the house maybe didn't like her Maybe. but remember there's a scene at the beginning where basically she says she and court didn't get along that's why she yeah, serious sister. That's much true. so, Court may have just like, oh, there's one I want's blood. <laughs> I I don't know
1: because Court did let his wife go. He did. I mean, I also have a note asking the question because when when, when we see that initial um, scene of of Ellen Court going to the studio and being spooked by or the dog rather being spooked by something, and when she's there, she sees her dead husband. Mm-hmm. We don't realize it's her dead husband right so what we see is a zombie pops up and she gives him both barrels with her shotgun it seems perfectly reasonable
0: well he did just but kill a dog too so the dog jumps well, him first and he he just
1: slaughters the dog it's her dead husband it's her dead husband I, 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 and she doesn't hesitate not much and we, and we discover that when when she's being interviewed by norlis but i guess she's somewhat unsensible she doesn't appear to have been too upset about the dog um so maybe not about the husband either, but it's. Would you really, if if you're know, you a widow, a recent widow, in fact, and suddenly your loved one appeared again in front of you, even if you happened to be in a slightly jumpy frame of mind and carrying a double-barrel shotgun, would you would you give him both barrels? That's a very good question.
0: I I I, I think I think taken as a whole, again, I mean, she's the dog is. Although, okay, they need a better dog actor whose tail did not wag quite so much. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but you know, given that the dog seems to be, like, really on to something, and then they go into the studio, it's a dark, it's a stormy night, she's rightfully scared, and whether or not she recognized her husband or not, he did leap out at her and go,
1: well, big wild was... yellow eyes and stuff. I, I, I don't know. I I I I would have thought the reaction would be yes, she's scared. Yes, she's yes, she's expecting something nasty to happen. But what happens? I was, It should be oh, James, darling. Thank goodness you're here. I'm so scared. And oh, you're looking a bit purple rather than bam bam.
0: <laughs> well, but um, I, I I well, if it weren't her husband. And somebody if somebody leaped up and rowled at me and I was carrying a shotgun and it was late at night and there was nobody supposed to be on my property, absolutely I'd give them both barrels. Yes. I would yes. I would yes. totally no, do I'm, that.
1: I'm with you. Who wouldn't?
0: Okay. Now, but we have to add one other step. The dog leaps on the guy. She doesn't give him both barrels first. She stops and she watches as the dog leaps on him, and he snaps that dog in two and flings it across the room while still growling like a monster. I don't know. At that point, I, I don't know. I think that would have been enough for me, no matter who it was, to go, I uh, 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 And it, uh, yeah. No, I, I I see your point. I do see your point. And if it's not her husband, what she did made absolute perfect sense. If it is her husband, I'm going to go 50-50. Some people would, some people wouldn't. She does seem yeah, pretty I, a cold fish. I think fish. Maybe more,
1: than, more than 50 people would, would actually say, James, what are you doing? Or something. I mean, I'm not necessarily saying she leaps into his warm embrace, but um, I, th- tra- I think perhaps opening up some channel of dialogue before opting for armed conflict. I, well, did he, he, you know, he...
0: I, and then there's another question. Was he going to kill her? Was he well, trying to scare her, her away? find
1: out. She's just going to blow him away right. before he's, he... Well, he does kill the dog.
0: He, he, he does, he does yeah, demonstrate... Yeah, he kills
1: the dog that has just leapt at his throat.
0: Yeah, yeah. I... I... I, I Yeah, it's, it's, this is tough to evaluate how you would behave in a supernatural situation. If I saw somebody running at me with fangs dripping blood that has just killed somebody, I I would probably try to give them both barrels, no matter who it was. But, yeah, I, it's, it's a tough one. The question is, you know, if the dog hadn't been there, was he trying to scare her away? Would he have tried to communicate with her? He sort of did in the tunnels. Right when he, when he came across yeah. her in the tunnel, he's like, mm, mm, mm. he couldn't speak, but he was clearly trying to say something to her, and 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 then yes. apparently left her.
1: We didn't actually see the result of that. He just left her. Well, it wasn't it wasn't brilliantly executed, and it did make me wonder whether what he was trying to say was, "Hey, Keels nicked my ring" or something, which you know, turned out not to be the case, but. The intention wasn't communicated especially clearly within the scene itself. Oh, and then the I will I, I will say, yes, your your point stands. He there is there is clearly within the story some residual recognition from James Court of, of, of Ellen. And therefore, to come back to the question, could he have been after Marsha in particular? Well maybe, although why wouldn't he have just gone straight to the motel Rather than wait, waiting... Or kill her at the uh, mansion. Kill her at the mansion. Or not even wait for someone to turn up at the mansion. Just go to the motel or any other nearby building containing people with blood. Mm-hmm. And empty one of them out so that he could carry on with his uh, modeling activities.
0: It, it would have made more sense if the girl, Millie, had some connection to him. Yes. Right. Killed Langdon. He had a connection. Killed Madame Jaquil. Had a connection. Killed the sister-in-law had a connection in Liker. Millie seems to be a random a random target.
1: Yes, but even Jaquil and Langton yeah, weren't went looking for trouble. There's a connection. Right. They were killed because they're there. So, it, he, it it's not like he's looking for someone to kill at that point. Really, it's only Millie who he actually goes out looking to kill. And Marsha. Right. Well, he needed he
0: needed the blood to start his clay, so he's got to find a body. And and you know, the implication here is that this place is pretty darn remote. Both the mansion and the, you know, I, I think he even says it a couple of times how far even from the town the mansion is. Yeah. So, um, heck, heck of a lot of good money there in art for an artist who's presumably bought the house when he wasn't dead yet. <laughs> I, I, th- I thought you had to be a dead artist before you got rich from uh, from that stuff, but apparently not. Um. Yeah, so, hmm. But I... Yeah. So was he waiting for Millie to see him for to terror or... or Not Millie. Uh, the sister. Marsha. Marsha. And I, I just Marsha, Marsha, Marsha.
1: I, I have no idea because the whole thing of going out... Going after her makes no sense. So at that point, the question of whether he was... Why he was waiting outside the window rather than just smashing straight through it is a fairly minor point, it seems to me. I just... It, it does feel kind of like
0: that maybe also... He would have just worked a little longer and finished the eyes on the previous night because it was only about what ten seconds work to finish
1: the eyes there well, at the end. Yes, but you know, <laughs> the sun rises, <laughs> the sun rises. Yeah, you're... oh well, it could have been that. I was just thinking, you know, the the artist not wanting to spoil spoil the kind of pièce de résistance because there. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I oh, have no idea. <laughs> like I, I have to conduct the
0: ceremony too, with me grunting at him and 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 whatnot. So. <laughs> so anyway, all right. Let's see. Have I got anything specific? Uh, well, we've, oh. got,
1: we've got we've got to touch on. Given how much time we spent talking about Kolchak's relationship with the police, oh, yes. except I'm. I, it's not. It's not police. Is it? It's I must sheriff. It but sheriff. It's the local but law enforcement. The enforcement with. Yeah, with the Roses, um, that the way that Norliss handles him just seems to me so much better, and it's the same guy too. You That's, mean from a Kolchak? It's the same sheriff. I mean, it's not the same character, but same actor. Oh right. Oh, I didn't even register that. We had so we had so many of them. The original but, one
0: uh, in the in the Night Stalker was Claude Akins. Uh, he's okay. he's a long time okay. one. Of, Dan Curtis likes to come back to the same actors. In fact, I think the publisher was also in the Night Stalker, possibly as one of the city officials. But I so
1: he has he has a rep company like he absolutely. does, basically absolutely. But um, although although he got quite heated, Norliss didn't. You know, there was nothing there was nothing for him to gain by rising to it, and so he didn't. He was just completely cool about it. And you know, in the in the scenes where they were they was they was they still had strongly opposing viewpoints but after after Norlis has actually witnessed court for himself and he's in the sheriff's, sheriff's office and you know the, the the sheriff isn't isn't ready to believe him but they are having a dialogue and he doesn't completely dismiss him and then when when he he describes you know what happened to Ellen and so forth the sheriff is like he's, he did that and Norlis says, yeah, he, he did that. And the sheriff's right. All right, let's go. Yep. And he- even though he later on says, well, OK, this is a wild goose chase. We're giving up on it. There is there is more mileage for Norlis. I mean, he gets more benefit from the way he handles him than Colchak would, because he wouldn't have got that far, Colchak. He would just have insulted him at the first opportunity and been dismissed altogether okay so a, a, a couple of observations i think
0: that the sheriff you know there is there is unfortunately this cast of the oh 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 this is fantastical we need to clamp down on this which i don't like i i, I mean it, maybe it's a it's a holdover from a different era where you don't want to panic the public or something but you know how many times have we seen well, that it's jaws does. and everything but this is the crime that was you know, she was crushed. Her blood was taken. You don't hide that
1: unless you think it'll help you catch the killer. But, that, but, but I, again, I think that is reasonably handled in the sense that it's explored through the discussion that takes place between the sheriff and the M.E. Because the, because the M.E. is saying exactly what you're saying. He's putting that point of view. Sheriff's having to defend his position. He's saying, OK, I'm not asking you to fabricate anything. And yet he says, well, I'll see what I can
0: do. It's like, w- what did that ultimately mean? <laughs> what did what did he do? Did he write his report and then like, and use a really small font to say, and the body was drained of all its blood? I, I don't quite understand what, what the result of that was, except I kind of came out of that feeling like the ME was going to do something a little shady, but not super shady to help the sheriff. Yeah, yeah. But and it's the important- default position of the sheriff that I don't like. It's the same thing from, from the original nights. Well, the original Night Stalker kind of makes sense because in Las Vegas, everyone's the They're... mob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and the whole city is based on that. So I kind of get it there. I don't get it from this guy. Just like, you know something? Those are the conditions. The guys, th- their blood was gone. You know, we don't know what it means. Don't have evidence one way or the other. I'm not saying it's ghoul, vampire, monster, anything like that. It's just those are the, those are the facts in the case and yes this sheriff does a better job of investigating when somebody shows him look he ripped the car door off. he may not believe it's the dead body of court but something happened yes we will go we will go investigate we'll send the troops we'll go i mean he i I completely appreciate the sheriff a lot more in this except for that we're gonna hide this and you know at least I, i can forgive him for saying okay well let's not work on the assumption that it's the dead man's body reanimated walking around town. I mean, yeah. I, so... And yes, Norliss handles him much better. But in defense of Kolchak, hard to, but in defense of Kolchak, in its exchange, <laughs> come on, give it a go. if the police are wrong, and again, you, you it, it really does come back to that fundamental principle of the first movie, right? The police, and, and even there, the police aren't wrong. They know it's a vampire. They're just covering it up. So it's... But... If the police are following the wrong avenue of more people will die, and whereas maybe we can argue that the no, reporter no, no. should be reject- objective and not worry about that and just report on people being dead, as a human being, he should feel some he should feel some concern when the police are clearly doing the wrong thing. And I think that's where Kolchak gets up in his, well, you big dum-dum, and when he's but talking to the
1: cops. No, my criticism of Kolchak is, in what way does, oh, you big dum-dum, actually change the course that they're no, taking. It, 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 it no, it all doesn't. All it does is make Kolchak feel better. Yes. I, I, but it doesn't, it doesn't make the police do a better job, and it certainly doesn't mean that Kolchak is doing a better but job. But I don't know that this made the police do a better job either. Uh, well, I think I mean, if you don't, don't serves, push the issue, if you just let no, him it go it, on does, and pretend... It then. serves Norlis a lot better, because he, because he actually maintains access to, his, to, to, to the investigation or the official investigations, so he's, there's a dialogue going on on with the the law and order folks and because he can gather more information he is in a better position to steer so so when he gets them when the car door gets ripped off and he gets them to go back there he couldn't have done that if he hadn't kept on civil speaking terms with the sheriff and yes he 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 just, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have had the information that he had. So he wouldn't have known whether or not he was missing anything useful. And more than likely, he would have been missing useful information. Even if the police are wrong, even if they are acting, you know, through self-interest or whatever, it doesn't necessarily mean call them a dum-dum. He he did act a bit smug during his first interview with the sheriff. But forgivably so. The sheriff was very much in his face. So, you know,
0: it's... Anyway,
1: yes, I, I, the
0: police interaction very different, very different style. Uh, again, you could make the argument that this is William F. Nolan and, and Dan Curtis looking at what was successful about Kolchak, looking about what might not work long term, mm-hmm. and somebody else wants to pay me to make that. This is you could you could make this as version two of of the process, and I gather since Dan Curtis and Darren McGavin didn't get along well on the Night Strangler. That was probably why. I mean, well, apart from the fact that it was fulfilling something for a different network, but I mean, it it, it would, you know, if there had been anything, he could have channeled that into Kolchak movies, but but didn't. Um, I, I I would have liked to have seen this to go to a series. I, I would have liked to have seen maybe Roy Thinness be a little more interesting, but uh, <laughs> I, I I take your point. You know, by laying low and being being very mellow and passive, he he gathers more information, and he's more successful at getting in with people instead of
1: being a, a, a the the squeaky wheel. And it's not necessarily as wearing some of the some of the shouty police scenes in Kolchak which is like fingers on a blackboard. This is a more enjoyable performance to watch, even if maybe it's laid back a bit too much at times.
0: Yeah. Um. So a couple of just random questions then about uh, the show. The first question is the wife is saying that she's planning on selling the mansion. Okay. Fair enough. It's a great big, huge, gigantic, creepy house. <laughs> and you inherited it. Okay. That's fine. It's yours. Nobody's making a complaint. You're selling a thing. Um. What happens when a family crypt gets sold with a house like that? I wanted that. <laughs> it's like a- it's never occurred to me, because typically you don't have mansions in the United States that actually have a family crypt. Um, I was like, so this is this is the court family crypt. It's here on the property. Um, I,
1: but yeah, I, I guess, you know, you inherit a crypt, or you, you purchase a crypt when you buy the house. Do
0: you start putting your own people in it and, like, rename it? Oh my you know, instead of the court crypt you just kinda of scratch over it and put Glover and then start putting your own family. I in
1: there. Quite no what the sort of funereal etiquette is there.
0: <laughs> and were there other courts in the in there? If the house was only built in the prohibition era, which yeah, California was the had. house
1: built then or were the tunnels added?
0: Oh uh, well, he was looking at the architectural diagrams. Yeah. If yeah. you were if you were making prohibition tunnels
1: yeah, like that you'd been, file you
0: yeah. file your paperwork. Come to think of it, <laughs> my my secret tunnels. Check out in City Hall if you need to know where the, <laughs> the county planning office. I would have to be in that case. <laughs> so that was uh, and court did have quite a prominent position there in the middle of it. So I I again I don't know what you do with a crypt. I mean you know what I receive a crypt is like in a vampire film where you get a crypt and you've got people in the wall, and then maybe one person has the position of honor if that's the right word, in the middle, sitting there. And I've never have figured out, is that like the guy who built the crypt and everyone else is like an adjunct family member? Or is that the most recent dead person that sits there until the next one comes along and then they put them into a waltz? <laughs> I, I really don't know what happens with creps. <laughs> it's, not a thing, it's not a thing we do much uh, anymore. Um, but, but yeah, that was my thought. It's like, what do you do with the crypt? <laughs> If I'm going to sell this house. Comes with crypt. Is that is that like a bonus on the Zillow listing? <laughs> also, where did Norlis get the human blood? And I assume it had to be human blood. He didn't actually say human blood. He said a blood circle. But
1: Oh, oh yeah. And it's flammable blood, right?
0: Yes. Yeah, how does that work? Was that what his chemistry experiment was? Was he finding a well, way to make it, blood flammable?
1: Well, it could, I mean, I can think of a way of making blood flammable. Uh, so, I mean, if he was dissolving it in petrol or whatever... That was, would surely do the trick. Thinking lighter fluid, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah same. Yeah, maybe. Kind of,
0: kind of think that's. But, I, but you know, this
1: is this is supposed to be some sort of medieval law or something, isn't it? Yes. So where did they get their flammable blood from? That's what I want to know.
0: Well, you know, part of the reason that the, the medieval times are known as the Dark Ages is that they couldn't actually banish the spirits because they didn't have the technology to make flaming blood. <laughs> <laughs> that died with the Romans. <laughs> the romans (laughs) they could do the flammable blood but when they you know when that fell that was that was the end of it i I don't know the medieval period thought it was flaming blood and this is an egyptian um lore (laughs) because the ring is a scarab yeah yeah so that one was a little (laughs) and i was trying to figure out what he was doing when it was in the when he was in not the lab but yeah, he had the Earl Miller flasks and all that, and the tubes and stuff. And he was measuring stuff out. And I'm going, is that supposed to be blood in there? I- is that red liquid blood, or is he reconstituting blood? Because it was like a red powder too in one of them. And I just look at this, going, what the heck is he doing? It-, it just didn't make any sense. And then he comes on, look, oh, flammable, blood on fire. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do a bloodletting to test out and see if blood is flammable. But I, my thought is it's not. I'm. I'm thinking it's not. I'm thinking it's not. Maybe it's flammable in the presence of supernatural
1: beings. <laughs> well, you could test that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah,
0: that 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 could be what it is. Uh, next question, random stray things. So Norlis is in his Corvette, and he's zinging up the hill trying to get there before sunset. And there's that car that's in front of him. What was up with that car?
1: Just just being obstinate. I've was he being seen.
0: obstinate? Okay. Now, that was my question it's like the way this is shot yes. that guy is definitely blocking norlis from going around him
1: yeah and you think there must be some reason
0: for it but could it be the demons trying you know spirit world trying to stop him from getting there <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> I don't know or i think it could the guy could be drunk could be anything we never really find out other than that norlis finally just goes around him it just killed a little time ta- built a little tension but um, built a little tension that's all and um and I do want to point out, I think I mentioned Robert Colbert did the music. He's the guy who also did the music for uh, Night Stalker Night Strangler. He did all the music for Dark Shadows. Dan Curtis, once again, part of his entourage that, that comes in there. I don't know if you noticed it, but there was an awful lot of that little piano thing. Kind of tinkly thing during some of the tense moments. I, I, it has to be lifted straight out of the Night Strangler soundtrack. It just... It just feels so, not the good music from the Night Stalker or, or the Night Strangle. It was a little bit more jazzy at times, but the the, the the kind of dull, the dull music from the Night Stalker. And last parallel, again, we can put this down to uh, Dan Curtis. Show ends, titles begin to roll, the rest of the cast's names come up, and then the innocuous scene that the titles run over end, and suddenly we start getting... All the clips of the zombie attacking people. You get three or four or five of those. And then finally, the last one, Freeze Frame, full on face, and Nick Dimitri as James Court. And that's where you end it. It's exactly what they did with the Night Stalker. Exactly what they did with the Night Strangler. Both of those. That appears to be how um, Dan Curtis likes to credit his monsters at the end. Didn't know if you
1: noticed that. If you remembered that from the original, I hadn't. I hadn't remembered. It's, I mean, I obviously noticed it at the end of this, but I hadn't remembered. It, it seems. The same thing.
0: It seems like when they finished on the Night Stalker and they freeze framed and said um, Barry Atwater as the vampire. It seems like they either pull or pushed in on his eyes, or they brightened them and or darkened the surrounding. To, to the final frame going out was more the eyes, but it was the same. It was the same kind of uh, uh, you know just end on that and then finish so okay um i don't have anything else neither do i um i'll uh i'll uh, send a copy of this when we air it over to the guys at big's finish and see if they want to pick this one up and <laughs> and and run run with oh, this show God. you know they could recast it um or, or not Roy Thinness is still around i think um hasn't been doing much no lately. doubt he's
1: just waiting for the call to come back and play norlis <laughs>
0: I I, You know, I was when I was looking through that and I was thinking about Roy Thinnes and and where he had come out of The Invaders, and I don't know why, I I knew Roy Thinnes was the guy who was in The Invaders, and I used to watch The Invaders all the time, and I knew he was the guy in The X-Files, and I thought, well, Invaders, you know, they're just hiring somebody who's been in a show about space aliens. And then I got to thinking about it, and the whole premise of The Invaders is that this guy, Roy Thinnes, character who was also named David, David Vincent, sees a UFO landing one night, and finds out that these aliens are coming to Earth to invade, and they can take over people's bodies and impersonate them. And he spends the rest of his series traveling from town to town, trying to prove that they exist, because they're so good at covering up. And that it's actually kind of funny that they picked him to be the alien <laughs> in the X-Files. And it's like, I, I I think I missed that joke the first time around. Yeah, You know? <clears throat> when they had Darren McGavin come in as the the guy who created the x-files i got that one right away it's like well there you go (laughs) that that one's obvious but um i didn't i didn't get the invaders reference in that way okay that's nothing to do with this story we have no more kolchak spinoffs that i am aware of anywhere so this we are this is this is it we're, we're done. We're off to other stuff. So, Simon, thank you for joining me for this uh, you know, journey through the Night Stalker and the Night Stalker and the Norless tapes. And um, it, it's, been, it's been fun. It's been interesting looking at the shows, uh, all of them, from, with, a, with a different point of view. Uh, and, and I appreciate your time and, and your thoughts on all of these shows. Oh, so. it's a pleasure, as always. And listeners, I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at fusionpatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. There, a zombified version of her husband tries to kill her, but she narrowly escapes. The police, although, taking the crime seriously... Now I'm going to reread that, because it's not the police, it's the sheriff and sheriff's police, isn't he? It's uh, actually it's the sheriff's office and the sheriff's it's uh, it's not not police actually Sheriff's on police. They well they're law enforcement but they're not police. It's just like highway patrol are not police. But they're they're highway patrol. It's not? it's it's a subtle it's a subtle distinction. Cities have police, counties have sheriffs, uh, and the state has highway patrol. So there, they are different levels of long.
1: Anyway, so come on. start that again. <laughs> wow, mind blown. <laughs>